Welcome to the Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs. Well, welcome back. We are excited that you're joining us for another just fun and engaging conversation with an industry peer. We are so excited. This season, we uh, have Chris Hunt joining us. And wow, I mean, what just a great person, but also just a fantastic story. And As you know, here at Perusings, the power of values, the whole point of this podcast is to be able to just share for those that are already in the industry, possibilities that may exist that you didn't even know were there. And for those that are not in the industry that might consider getting into it because, you know, this is a better industry than a lot of other ones. So with that, thanks again for all your sharing. Thanks for all your feedback. It is exciting to see all the downloads and how much value people are getting out of this. And let's kick it off. Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm really excited to be here. I've, I've followed the podcast since episode one. I have a lot of appreciation and respect for those that you've had on it. So I feel fortunate to be here today and excited to, uh, to, to chat a little. So uh, were you born this way or how did you get into the profession? Born this way? I, <laughs> no. I, I think probably the, the cleanest answer to that is, is, a, is a big no. I, I was a musician for, gosh, since just being a little pup and went to school and playing drums. Ended up getting a music education degree. No like appraising real estate, mortgage, none of that was even on my radar. Why would it be? You were playing drums. Right, were you famous? Like, did you play, I don't know, like... What, would I know any of the bands you ever played in? Because I, I, as drummers, drummers, you can't really be a soloist. I mean, you got to like be part we, of the band, basically. It, the, the bands that I played in in Dallas, I, you would have never heard them. We had one one song that was a little had a little bit of, of radio airplay, but we would do the the little you know local Deep Ellum scene. And we're pretty popular locally, but it was a good time, man. It was a really good time. I mean, my 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 guidance I counselor did steer me a little astray, or I would probably have just been selected to be the Foo Fighters new drummer. But um but it, we didn't go we didn't go that we, I, didn't, I didn't get that direction. So uh, uh, uh. Uh, all I can say is uh I would love you either way. I'm I am a yes, fan of the Foo Fighters. Fighters. So uh for those of you that aren't old enough to know the Foo Fighters, hit them up on YouTube. It's good, good. And you know what? I like music with guitars. It's man. They're quite <laughs> quite impressive and amazing live. But yeah, so I I I got my my degree in music, and then um, I was um, a, a drumline instructor and a summer league baseball coach for a couple of years. Uh, again, no really real estate wow. appraisal, not nowhere in the in the in in my future plan at all. Um, at the time, my my dad was yeah. um, a mortgage broker, and my mom was an escrow officer at a title company. Oh, so you actually had some real estate in the family. Yeah, it was. And and that's really kind of what was the segue into my my initial appraising gig. My third year teaching just kind of had a realization that I wanted a different career track. I wanted something with a little bit more oh, wow. financial potential and, you know, something a little a little different. Love the kids, love the team aspect and and really some of the best leaders that I've ever been around have some sort of a teaching background. So I really enjoyed that, but wanted something different. And my dad was like, Hey, I got a buddy who's an appraiser. He's looking for somebody to come help him, you know, file manila folders full of appraisal printouts. And, <laughs> you know, at the time, right. We're the trees here. We're just cutting them down and printing them out. It was, that was in 1999, summer of 99 that, that, that happened. Then wow. the rest was history, man. I mean, it was pretty prominent appraiser in the Dallas Fort Worth area and started going out and learning how to measure and and for all the all the the regulatory ears on the podcast you know put some earmuffs on right now but I I'd, I'd go measure and he'd go take photos of of comps and the stuff we would do you know as a trainee got it done got my, got my hours really and did. here we are that's phenomenal so uh I heard, well, actually you mentioned you got, you've been listening since the beginning of, of season one. I, I love one of our peers that shared that they grew up at the dumb end of the tape measure. I'm like, I never heard of it that way, but uh, I can yeah. appreciate your perspective. That's, that's a different way to go about it. So you were just, uh, you know, you're, you're a young adult at that point, or you were adulting and you were at the other end of the tape measure. Sure. And, and I mean, using, uh, I mean, I think my, my very first 
you know, field work that we had just, they had just yes. come out with digital cameras. I'm talking like the ones like, yeah, like the big the one, right? Size of a backpack, you know, huge little memory cards that held like eight photos. Right. So you had to, Oh yeah. Hell hell day. Day. You had to bring multiple, multiple memory cards <laughs> with you. And we had just moved away from printing photos and, and, and now we were, you know, throwing them in digitally and, the laser measurement thing wasn't wasn't happening, so it was uh, a combination between just the standard nylon tape and the walkers, and you know, just a lot of manual work. And it was good uh, at the time, you know, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and still that's still happening. You know, I did a lot of work in Park Cities, which was kind of an uppity, higher end area in Dallas, where you know, folks would come in and buy two million dollar homes, tear them down, and build six million dollar homes. So, you know, we got. We got really exposed to not just your, you know, pick three comps on the same street, call it a day, you know, appraisal work, which, you know, looking back, I think was pretty instrumental. And in, I think my trajectory of where I wanted to go with my career, because I, I almost preferred those oddball, um, you know, just kind of, you gotta, gotta dig in a little bit, gotta really kind of figure things out. And it, it wasn't just served up on a, on a platter right there in front of you, which was, which was a lot of fun. It's a phenomenal way to, uh, Phenomenal way to cut your teeth. I I can relate to everything you've shared there, even the timing from that standpoint. And what a difference it makes when it's not like, oh, wow, look, the house next door just sold and the two across the street just sold. And they're all, you know, one story, two story, whatever, three bedroom, two bath, same size. There's a small difference. Ooh, we can, we have a paired sale adjustment there as opposed to, it just tore out a $2 million home in the year 2000. So to put that in perspective, people, that's several million more uh, since then. And they're tearing it down and they're building something three times the case. I mean, that's just a whole different level of complexity. Yeah. I mean, plans and specs and all the the finish out work and getting in touch with the builders and the developers and having those conversations, but, but not just having them, learning to understand why those conversations were so important when it came down to, you know, condition quality of the property and whether or not you're, you're truly, you know, when you're making $50,000 adjustments for the type of imported flooring that you know one of the properties is using over the other you, you've got to you got to have your act together and how you tell that story and how you report on it so yeah it was it was great as kind of the first you know let's call it two or four years in the industry starting to to kind of cut my teeth in that in that level of of appraisal work yeah that what an amazing start i mean just absolutely phenomenal so you're getting all this hands-on experience you're in dfw which is now, pardon me. I mean, I visit there a lot. I actually have family members over on the FW side of the DFW. But uh, so is that a pretty active year round market for appraising? It is. And, and, okay. and it had it especially, you know, obviously up until 2008, 2009. I mean, really still is to this day, but there's still a ton of development, you know, going, going north um, towards Oklahoma and really just out in all all different directions. But But yeah, at the time, a lot of refi, a lot of purchase. Um, you know, we, the, the company that I was with, uh, when I kind of finished up my field experience before going, uh, the, the other direction in the industry, <laughs> if you will, um, <laughs> we did, and this is kind of a funny story. So for, for years, when I was the first two appraisal companies I worked for, I mean, I was the only in the band that I played in, I was the only guy with a full-time job, right? So we would play wow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, most of course. Yep. And I would appraise during the day. And so we're at rehearsal one one evening and guitar player, dear friend of mine, Ryan Singleton, comes in and he goes, guys, I got a day job. And and that was like, that was crazy news to all of us. Right? Like, what? You, why? First of all, but second of all, what? what yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be working for a real estate appraisal company. Oh and my God. I just about, you know, fell out of my, my drum throne. Um, I said that, but. <laughs> But anyways, skip, skip ahead a year. I go to work for him uh, or with him at the company he was. Oh, at. so you end up going and joining, you know, after, yeah, uh, yeah, after yeah. burning the midnight oil and, and doing some other stuff, you end up going to work with your buddy. Yep. And then, and then we start our own appraisal company, uh, okay. 2005, which was the, the last field, um, organization that, that I was at. And we almost our entire book of business was new construction. Oh, but wow. at the time, man, it was crazy in and around, you know, Allen and Plano and, and McKinney and oh my town too. And so that, yeah, I mean, it was, that was a, that was a good time. And, and also something that, that, you know, talk about 
working efficiently. And w- once you've measured the five plans in the subdivision, you know, you can crank them out. So that was, that was a nice, yeah, different, different book of, of work that we hadn't, or I hadn't had a whole lot of experience with in the past, but you know, when we, when we plugged in there, that's, that's really a lot, most of all what, what we did there. That's phenomenal. I mean, it's, for those that have never had the opportunity to do, whether it's the vertical, I mean, there's two versions of that, obviously. The one is the subdivision, like you said, where they might build a couple hundred homes or thousand homes, and there's five variations of it. And then the other one is when somebody, you know, puts up 30, 40, 50 stories, and there's only a handful, except for maybe the upper floors or penthouse kind of stuff. All the rest of them are basically the same. You know, it's kind of pick and finishes. Uh, and it's yeah. like, oh, oh, shucks, I have to go to an 03 unit today. <laughs> All right. How long is it going to take? I'll try to stay there for a half hour. I mean, I'm, I'm going to try really hard. Um, yeah. Just making sure that, you know, it's finished up and it's got the same amount of bathrooms and bedrooms that you expect it to have. It, but what it did really was, you know, kind of full circle to, you know, being on the appraisal management side of the, of the world these days. But it made me appreciate and understand, you know, investor and lender requirements now for new constructions and, you know, uh, comps and, and property inside the subdivision versus outside and, you know, competing builders and having to do a yes. little bit of like work if they're not, you know, listed in MLS. And, and so uh, again, I think just the culmination of the, the, the 10 years of field work that I had with the new construction and the, the, the teardown kind of high, high dollar property, you know, set me up for what ultimately was, a crazy time. I mean, skip ahead to 2009, right? 2009. Things changed for, for all of us pretty materially and HVCC happened. We lost connectivity with, with effectively all of our clients. Yes. Um, and Ryan, my business partner, guitar player, buddy came in one afternoon and said, Hey, I'm, uh, I hooked up with a, um, with a contracting company and, uh, I'm going to take a gig with this little company down the road called Fannie Mae. Oh, are you kidding me? So yeah. you're once again, your buddy goes off first. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, is, is that okay? Or are you good? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll stay around and I'll pay my $25 to join every, every AMC, whatever these things called AMCs are, you know, and we'll, we'll see, we'll see if I can, I can, you know, wow. up enough work to keep food on the table and keep drumsticks in my, in my bag, you know? So he went over there three or four months later, things weren't working out to oh, yeah. the way we wanted on my side. So I, I went over there too. And, and man, those next six years, um, w- what a ride that was at Fannie. It was, good. it was crazy. You know, when we, when we started, we were all, we're all contractors, right? And so Fannie was bringing in credentialed appraisers really from all over the country. Um, and people weren't uh-huh. uprooting their families and just mm-hmm. because they didn't have a choice, you know, I mean, we, so many of us were just left with not, not a lot going on, not a lot of, I had nine months and no work and no pay. I mean, thank goodness. I was, I was married at that point in my life. My wife, I, my wife made an ultimatum. She's like, look, if you don't bring some money home next month. Don't come home. That's a different story for different times, but I, I hear you. I mean, if yeah. had I known Fannie Mae was hiring, I'd have been in Texas. Yeah, man, <laughs> it was it was it was nuts, and and we would all come in as contractors on a Monday, and no exaggeration at all, they'd bring in 10, 15 people on a Monday, and six or seven of those on a Friday would get that dreaded phone call from the contracting company saying, "Hey, this is this is your last day." They had us all in kind of a big a big room with with desks just all sitting next to us, and. Friday afternoon after lunch was not a fun time. Somebody's no. phone would go off. And, and the reason for that is because the, the work that, that we were doing, we were, we were, you know, a bunch of appraisers that were assisting the sales organization to, to really kind of triangulate what the best list price would be for the property that Annie was trying to, you know, get off their books and, and mitigate the loss from. And where the struggle was, was taking an REO appraisal, a listing mm-hmm. PPO, and a myriad of other data, you know, that we had access to online and reconciling all of it to, to really get an understanding of, uh, you know, first and foremost, where, where are the values, but, but also what are the market conditions? You know, what does yes. supply and demand look like right now? What is the condition of the property? You know, how is it? Does it need repair? Should we go in and put paint and carpet in? Would that health marketability and, you know, the appraisers, as I mentioned before, you know, and this is no, no cut on, on anybody's upbringing in the industry, but those, you know, three comps in the report, you know, stamp the, the done button and send it for 10 years or 20 years, you know, 
those guys would 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 have a, a pretty tough time on mm-hmm. reconciling just all of the different data sets and understanding market conditions and where the where the market was moving and and how to really help you know pinpoint what the best pricing decision would be on 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 a listing um and so yeah come friday you know, half those folks that we had become friends with that week were, were out of there. And thankfully my, my buddy Ryan and I made the cut and, and, um, you know, just did that for several years. Um, you know, just really using yeah. heads down in the data, uh, you know, making the best decisions that we can to, to support, you know, Fannie's ultimate, you know, initiatives to, to, to offload as many of those properties and mitigate the, the loss as best as possible. I tell you, it's it's one of those. I have a whole different, similar perspective of that time frame. Um, not because I was at Fannie Mae by any stretch, because otherwise we'd known each other sooner. But uh, I, I really appreciate that a point that you raised that I don't know that a lot of people are aware of, and that is there's so many different ways that um, valuation professionals get engaged, and whether it's on origination. I mean, again, we're talking more in a lending capacity. It doesn't matter if it's residential or commercial at this point, although Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae is residential, but it's really around that ability to um, either gather data or have data available and then be able to not only understand it, but like you said, to reconcile it. That's such an important skill set. And you know, for me, I'd really just quickly connect with the fact that you'd been around new construction, you'd been around teardowns, like you'd seen construction cost statements. I assume you did your fair share of walkthroughs and what is done and what isn't done. And like, Hey, is this really 50% or is this more like 80 or is that more like 20% completion? Like all those things. And I'm always fascinated at, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate the body of knowledge that's the, that, you know, it takes to get in the appraisal profession, but I don't, I, my personal bias is look, if you don't, if you don't buy and rehab or you don't get to be around construction and remodeling, like it, you don't know what's behind the walls. You don't know what the costs are. You don't have a sense of those things. And clearly you guys were doing it well to, to be there. And obviously, you know, you continued to advance and I'm sure you'll share a little bit more about that. It's such a wonderful skill set that, uh, you didn't know you had that you were able to utilize. Well, and, and definitely not only did I, I not, you know, fully recognize that I had it when I came there, but there was no, there was no like mindful plan to gain it. Right. Like I was, I was the ball inside the pinball machine, you know, through the first probably 15 years of my career, just kind of bouncing around and, and, you know, very, very thankful for the the folks that I had worked with and, and for through the years to gain mm-hmm. that, that perspective, because you're right. I mean, it, it is a, a skill set and a, and, you know, that, that kind of experience that even today, you know, when I'm reviewing and helping review, um, you know, high dollar or complex assignments, those, those appraisers I see that really, truly get it have have a skill set to understand data and reconciliation and where the market is moving and why it's moving that way. And, and you can tell that the diversity of experience that they have uh, and what they've seen and how they've, how they've gone about it uh, really, really pays off in the long run. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I wish, uh, hopefully uh, with all the, you know, growth in technology and, and education opportunities, there'll be more and more of those so that people can get access to that sooner in their career the one that always boggles my mind is there's no, and I could be mistaken, you know, I'm a little older now than I used to be, but uh, there's no construction component to real estate education. And that, that became clear to me when we became one of the top firms providing sustainable, uh, high performance and green valuations in the country, because we understood all that. And I'd been around it for a while and people were like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, it's what's in the walls. And I, I totally hear about that because when you were went to Fannie Mae, I founded a uh, technology company. We created a technology solution for people that were buying at foreclosure auctions. So I was on the other side of all those properties coming to auction and we were helping uh, accelerate and basically do matchmaking and, and really uh, turn a lot of, and obviously in Texas, you have Super Tuesday. That was a whole different experience. I had friends flying for that. I mean, people just don't have any understanding of what was going on on that side of the investing and valuation side and deal analysis. The friends that I have in the industry that are in the field, I, I continually just encourage them to to seek to seek diverse client base. You know, to really to really not just you know, yeah, sure, it's it's great to to knock out you know three or four a day or how many ever they're doing of just cookie cutter, you know, three comps done and you know done and delivered, but but really trying to 
you know, look, look and seek out those, those oddball properties because where they might be kind of a pain in the butt as you're going back and forth and, and getting it to where, you know, you know, the lender's going to be happy with it moving forward, what you gain from it and the experience that you're getting, you know, really, you know, uh, understanding the, the process and, and why the questions are asked and why the requirements are there, um, you know, is, is, is really a good thing. Um, a, a good thing to, to have experience with because what, where, where I came out of the, you know, valuation analyst side of things at Fannie, um, you know, the last, uh, say probably the last four years, five years there, I got into to vendor management. So where we wow. were, my teams were the ones training the appraisers around the country to do the REO appraisals. Oh, wow. Okay. So we were, we would, and what a great team, man. And so many of them are still there and just a lot of old world savings folks and people that have come up through the, you know, through that, through that, just so many great, great folks over there. But it was a lot of fun because we'd travel around every month to a different, you know, hot REO market at the time. And we'd get in front of all the appraisers and yes, we would just go through, Hey, how, how do we do this? How do we really do this? How do we how do we analyze and understand, you know, what the property needs? How do we look at uh, and all of our favorite word bifurcated, right? Yes. <laughs> Although I think I'm glad, I'm glad that word isn't used as much as it was. Uh, your, but <laughs> looking at, looking at bifurcated markets where you've got, you know, your, your as is da- uh, data and your as repair data and, and understanding how to look at all of it and reconcile it and use it. So it was, it was a ton of fun because we, we, not only did we get to see, you know, and meet face to face with all these great appraisers around the country that were doing, you know, the, the work for us, but we got to really engage in a, in an in-depth conversation on, you know, how do we, how do we, as a, as a group just improve, um, and, and understand what we're doing at levels that we might not have been at before. And, and even, you know, from, from my side of, of presenting and, and the teams that, that I worked with and, and led, you know, we, we grew so much through that process because you, you learn the market intricacies of say a Detroit and how those yes. differ from a Miami to a Chicago to a, you know, an LA and, and seeing, seeing how all those different markets, you know, what makes them unique and different, but then where are the alignments? Where are the, where, you know, where is their synchrony amongst all of that um, to really help, help and grow and, and, and build a bunch of really consistently performing, you know, markets and groups of appraisers. That's amazing. And a lot of people, I mean, I learned so much during that time frame. One, sadly, because I had a lot of free time. So I got to read a lot. But, uh, you know, I learned a little bit about the legal system in the United States. You know, we approximately, it's not exactly, I know the specific numbers, but approximately half the states are judicial states. You know, there are non-judicial states. And that has a huge impact on how properties move through the foreclosure process. And then therefore, how that affects valuation. And sadly, I happened to be in Illinois at that time. And it competed with New York for the two longest uh, tenures of typical foreclosures or foreclosure cycles. And it got into the years, not like Super Tuesday in Texas. We're like, hey, it's like 30 days or, or something very quick as opposed to, hey, we're, we're approaching 700 days here in Illinois for the property to go through the process. Exactly what I was just going to say. 670 something was the the number I had in mind for New York. And, and this this whole idea of strategic default, you know, when that when that came to play, you know. Yes. Of, yeah, just having to navigate that. It, it's it was wild. It was super wild. And and to think of just the the damage and the condition of those properties that would sit there for that long. I I I'm sure many of, of your listeners, and I know a lot of my buddies love it. But <laughs> the, the movie Big Short, I think, was oh my gosh, brilliant, brilliant. It's a great movie. If you yeah, haven't yeah. seen the Big Short, go. Watch. You know the other good one. Did you see Ninety Nine Homes? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was fantastic. One. Yeah. 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 So the, that, but I think, man, the, the, just the depiction of what was going on during that time and, you know, how, how it, how it told that story, I think was, was, was quite accurate, fascinating and, and mind blowing at the same time. <laughs> completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Wow. So you get this opportunity, you, you know, you're proving yourself, uh, you and, and I think you said your buddy Ryan are both there, had worked uh, independently and then had your own firm. Was it just you two or did you all have some team? And yeah, point. we had several appraisers that, that worked for us. Yeah, yeah, we uh, mm-hmm. we both trained uh, trained several, and and those guys. It's been fun. I, I love watching where everybody that I've connected with you know, through the years have gone, and 
yeah. have gone to the VA. One in particular is is at the county assessor, which went totally in a different direction, and and is now doing mass appraisal for the for the county that we worked in at the time, and is doing fantastic. So yeah, it's it's crazy, and 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 there's just there's just a ton of those opportunities that exist that you know we we get stuck sometimes. At least maybe I do, but you know, the residential real estate appraising, man, that's it. Like that's the yeah. and, and that's not the case. There's there's really a myriad. Of, I didn't ever think as a field appraiser doing, you know, a, a new construction in my backyard that I would have an opportunity to work at a GSE, that I'd have an opportunity to work at, you know, some of the larger appraisal management companies in the industry. No, no. I mean, you would ask me that back in 2001, I would have been like, yeah, no, I'm going to, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my career. I'm going <laughs> to bring my, bring my little nylon, you know, nylon tape measure clipboard and graph paper to uh, every house that I had. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe I got a little bit. I'm, oh, wow. Look, this camera isn't the size of a briefcase. Now it's the size of my hand. And well, it's uh-huh. kind of light. I can even put it on a little lanyard around my neck or something or a little like a little uh, clutch that uh, my wife would have. I just hang it on the wrist. It's great stuff. Well, and I remember the first time, too, where I was able to do something on my phone that would transfer over to the report. And I, think, oh. yeah, I mean, that was like, what? Wow. Yeah. Holy and and the the cool part, one of the one of the really cool parts, as I was wrapping up my time at Fannie, the crew that we had um, that was that was training all the appraisers in the around the country, we would go out and we would effectively do QC work on the appraisals. Right, we'd visit the home, we'd make sure that they got the repairs right. We okay do a secondary review, not a USPAP review, but just a. And I was fortunate enough to work with some really great guys that at the time were working on this little project called Collateral Underwriter. And they, through some of their dev team and, and, um, some of our team, we created, and I'm, I'm going to say the first, I have no idea if that's right, but it just sounds cool. But we, we were part of creating the first data collection app that Fannie used to collect data in the field on all of these appraisal QC, you know, and, and ultimately field servicing type of data that would then get collected, aggregated, reported upon, and, and you know, de- decisions were made on that from, from an, a, a mobile application that the teams were in the field. And it was tons of fun because it really opened up a lot of our eyes to, okay, what else can we do with this? You know, how else could we further objectify the data collection process in appraising in general that would help lead to, you know, more, more consistency and condition and quality, for example. Um, cause at the time, you know, UAD was new and people were just coming off of average plus plus good minus. Gosh, <laughs> I was sadly remember all that. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. oh, it's average plus. I'm like, oh my goodness. So is that the same as average to good or is average to good better than average plus? So I'm like, yeah, and the answer is always yes. Right. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and it was, it was just a fun time because it, it got, you know, it, and I mentioned the, the people that we worked with at, at Fannie, just some amazing folks. And a lot of, again, a lot of them are still there. They're, they're elsewhere in the industry and a, and a bunch of, you know, really prominent players, but the conversations we would have about what, you know, what was possible and what we could mm-hmm. do. Um, and, and being a part of that, um, you know, at, at, at the table with a lot of really smart folks was, was really a, a ton of fun. And it, and it introduced me to, you know, at the time we were, I was, I was overseeing the, the vendor management, but part of that was volume vendors and appraisal management companies that Fannie would use to facilitate, you know, their, their appraisal orders and work. And one of which, um, you know, pretty sizable AMC up in, in Northern California was, was partnered with us and I got to know them very, very well. And, and that's, that's where my, my next opportunity to go and wow. chief appraiser job came from. And were you in a chief appraiser role or, or, or some type of uh, valuation role at Fannie Mae before you departed? Yeah. So my, my official title title was director evaluation. We, we had, we had several, uh, valuation directors over different, different oh, parts of the business, but mm-hmm. I, my, my gig right there at the end was I was over everything kind of vendor management appraiser training. Uh, but I was also deeply involved in kind of the innovation side of things and, and what we were doing collectively to kind of push forward on, on new products and new approaches to, 
um, to valuation and, and really kind of the, the start to a lot of the conversations on, you know, the new forms and um, property data and, and what that was going to be. So that was really in its infancy, right? Right about the time that I, that I left. That's amazing. And that was about 10 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the twenty a little twenty sixteen is, is yeah, almost a little, little shy. But I, I think that's helpful if I may, Chris, just for those listening in. I mean, it's 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 easy to see like, oh my gosh. It's it's like an overnight success. It was twenty years in the making, you know, Apple before they got to whatever you know level they got to. Starbucks, overnight success. Like it's been around for thirty plus years. I mean, I don't even know my numbers anymore. They're so far off. I'm like, oh my gosh, this whole thing just showed up. I'm like, no, it didn't. It's been around for a long time. I mean, look at any clinical study that's done in the medical field. You know, the, they're like I was just reading one here recently about a drug and how it was literally founded back in the 60s, but it didn't gain prominence until like the late 80s or 90s. Like so many of these things have been around for such a long time. And I really appreciate what you talk about is it makes a difference when you get to participate in conversations for possibility. I heard you say that. You're like, wow, we were sitting around asking questions like, What's possible? What could we actually do? Could we actually objectify data collection? You know, gain consistency and quality. Because as we do that, it actually lets us all be better at what we're doing because we start to get rid of all that gray area to the extent we can. That's fascinating that you were part of that. And then being with the innovation approach towards looking at new products and new approaches to actually help advance the very work that's going on. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, tip of the hat to the leadership at Fannie, they don't they don't get the credit I think they deserve at, at times with just how inclusive of a think tank environment that that mm-hmm. it, that it is and has been. Um, which you know I think there's there's some criticism on how long how long things take to come to fruition, and I know that there's there's been a lot of like really it's going to take four years to get a new URAR out or or more. <laughs> like what's up with that, right? And yeah, I I I understand I understand that point a little bit too, but yeah, but no, I think, yeah. To your point on on you know just the the diligence and the time that it takes for things to really be well thought out and planned and and go through you know the necessary process to, to before it you know becomes live you know they're 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 great at that and and again being being a part of it was really a ton of fun oh and, and then and then ultimately like I said led to making the the, the connection and and building the relationships with those folks that you know ultimately got a phone call one. One afternoon, and I, I will forever remember this. I was standing out front, getting the mail, and walking back in. And the uh, CEO, the owner of the company, calls, and he's like, "Hey, we got a gig that I think you might be interested in a profile. Wow. Do you want to, you want to come out and meet the team and and talk to everybody and 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 see what you think?" And at the time, right, my my biggest concern was like, "Holy crap! Like I'm getting ready to tell my wife that, hey." <laughs> We're going to move from a house that we just moved into like two and a half years ago in McKinney, Texas. Where oh my gosh, in McKinney of all places, man. Hot bed of growth. Hot bed of growth. Everything we knew, everything we were comfortable with. My parents were three miles away. Her parents were 30 minutes away. All of our friends, everything we knew. I was going to have to go inside and say, okay, babe, there's this gig on that side of the country. Oh my gosh. Um, we're going to go talk to them about it. and. Yeah, it was it was wild, um, and we we went out there and got the lowdown, and and um, you know really it, we had a we had a, a two year plan right where it was, and my my close close friends have heard this story probably a million times, so bear with me. But no, nah, it's all right. Two year plan, and um, you know in six months we were like, yeah, this is we love it out here, and um, I, we we somehow found by happenstance the most conservative city in all of california you know you drive in here i take the exit <laughs> i take the exit to where our house is there's two car washes a walmart a gun store and a jack-in-the-box and i'm like you were almost at home oh my goodness that's yeah. like louisville goodness yeah if they would have like water burger and maybe like a taco bueno i would have been like there would have been no difference <laughs> wow and so yeah we loved it and we were we really took advantage of you know, being close to the Bay and close to Tahoe and, and, and everything that this part of the country had to offer. And, and sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it was, it was a positive move just from a, from a geography perspective, because the gig in and in, in and of itself, um, 
my first title chief appraiser role, mm-hmm. it was quite the transition. Um, and, and I say that only because, you know, I'd never, I had never been in, in that, in that, that titled role. I had never worked at an appraisal management company before. Yeah, and, and, and just happened to come into, you know, one of the larger ones that was really on the, the bleeding edge of everything, technology, everything, innovation. Um, and so of course, you know, my excitement for that type of, that type of work was massive, but my day job as the chief appraiser was everything, quality control, everything, panel management, everything, transactional escalation, you know, and there was, there was that aspect of it, but then there was all the other fun stuff, right? It was all the, you know, how are we going to, how we, you know, when we were getting into pilots with the GSEs and everybody else, like, how are we going to train all these real estate brokers to measure houses? And, you know, I really wanted to do that, but then I was pulled back over here because so-and-so had a, an ADU question that, you know, what do we do with the second kitchen? <laughs> you know, I mean, and so it was, it was this balancing act and, and trying to kind of figure out how to best navigate what was an incredibly fast paced high pressure operational environment at the same time wanting to be involved in what was really some groundbreaking, you know, partnerships with a lot of big players in the industry on what is ultimately turning into what we're all experiencing today and, and automated data capture and 3d tools and, and, and all of that good stuff. So yeah, it was drinking through a fire hose as, as folks like to like to call it for, for a while, just, just get that. I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's one of those helpful things that people can start to see for themselves. And I've heard the feedback from um, so many peers literally across the country, even even across the world. People may not be thinking of this, but Chris, there are people across the world that actually are appreciating your uh, inputs there as well. And they're like, how does someone ever become a chief appraiser? Well, part of it is you just get in there and work hard. But, you know, there's the experience, there's the exposure. Um, there's also building relationships. I hear you've, you've touched on all that. What was it like stepping into that role, aside from like this fast-paced environment, you know, similar and different than uh, your previous employer? And uh, like, what were you first responsible of doing? Like getting to know some appraisers or like looking at forms? Or is it all about just from a whole data standpoint? Like you said, it's the first titled role of chief uh, real estate appraiser there. Yeah. And great question. I'm really glad that you you brought up relationships and and people because that that is... That has probably been the what I have been most passionate about through the entire career. That even back when I was a teacher and a coach, and and I think ultimately what led me to getting the opportunity to be a chief appraiser was, you know, I I've always I've always put the 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 relationships, the partnerships, those connections in a very genuine place, um, and and I I've always been like. It, it, the true me when I, when I connect with those folks, when I connect with those organizations. And I think ultimately, um, you know, what, what the organization was wanting was to bring somebody in that could, could be that glue in a very high, high pace, high pressure cooker environment that could keep the culture, um, and, and the people, you know, really glued together. And despite the chaos around them, pointed towards what success is and, and really kind of bring enjoyment into, into that organization. So, you know, initially for me, it was kind of twofold. Me personally was learning what in the heck the AMC was and how it worked and who the players were and what success did look like because success in an AMC, you know, is different with every client you have. Yes. You know, some, some pitch you against other peers and success is just outperforming them. Um, Others have uh, SLA thresholds of performance. And so long as you're there or above, you're good to go. So it was really understanding, building an understanding of what success organizationally and client to client look like, and then adapting that to operational processes that existed on the QC team with the appraisers, um, you know, on the panel management side and, and identifying, you know, risk areas and opportunities and, you know, the, the staffing side of things and everything that comes with the, the more kind of, you know, nuts and bolts aspects of running, running the business. So, uh, you know, my, my day looked different every single day. Some days I, never left my computer and never got out of my email with, you know, <laughs> working escalations and, 
answering, yeah, answering client questions and helping the teams to prioritize the, you know, their, their, you know, a plus customers that needed something done two hours ago. Right. So some days I never got out of that. Other days would be sitting in a conference room, staring at data, um, trying to really put, put our finger on root cause analysis on why, why different, um, you know, metrics are trending in different directions. You know, I've always been one that, uh, you know, the, the anecdotes, the, oh yeah, it's because of this without, you know, really objective data support. Um, that's always, it's always been a pet peeve of mine. So we spent a lot of time looking at information and, and really trying to understand, hey, what are the drivers here and what are the variables at play that we need to focus on such that we can, as a team, you know, kind of course correct and, and get where we need to be with a certain milestone or expectation. And then everything in between, you know, there were aspects of, of the hiring process and performance sure. management of, of individuals and teams. Um, you know, also spent a whole lot of time one-on-one with, with everybody just listening and, and hearing from those that were in the trenches and, and working the transactions every day. Hey, what do you need? What's not working? Um, you know, what, what support do you need that you don't have? What direction do we need, need to go that we're not moving in? And you know, just really kind of listening and, and pivoting and reacting to what the, what the team and the individuals needed. Now, I, I, that is such a multifaceted role. And it's wonderful to know that there's a place for drummers in the industry. I mean, I'm just really comfortable <laughs> yes. at this point in time to know that that's indeed the case. You know, I mean, we may all have to go to Foo Fighter concerts together just to uh, kind of reconnect, but nonetheless, uh, you know, there's really a place here for, for all uh, different kinds of people. And, it's, and as I heard you share early on, that value of those people who have an experience with and maybe an enjoyment of teaching end up being those that uh, create a better space of leadership for people to fo- be followership. Because, you know, there's everyone loves to talk about leadership. There's a lot to be said about followership. And followership really is people are actively choosing what leaders they want to um be aligned with and and be in line for. And obviously you've had that kind of impact and that's really impressive. Even something as as mundane but significantly important as RCA, the root cause analysis. Most people probably never been exposed to this. If you haven't been around a six sigma process or doing lean or anything else, you don't have a clue what that necessarily means. But wow, the power of information, the power of data. And I, I really appreciate you touch on that, Chris, because sometimes, like you said, you get stuck in this little, well, I'm going to choose the best three out of a little little set of information. But it's like, are you even close to what's going on? Do you understand the supply and demand? Are you able to zoom out enough to get a bigger picture so that as you zoom in, you don't miss the zoom? Right. And not not zoom the technology, but just like going in and out like a camera kind of thing. And uh, it's such a fascinating perspective. So as you start to get a handle on this and, you know, getting to know people and in building relationships, how did how did your um, involvement and impact change over the years you were with this, uh, you know, forward thinking AMC? You know, for me, I always had my my hand in, in multiple multiple aspects of the business. Mm. I, I was okay. firmly firmly seated in in the chief appraiser role and the, the AMC operation, but I was very much involved and pulled in. So we. The, the building that we that we occupied at the time was a, a two-level building. Most of the AMC was upstairs. Okay. Most of the data team and the and the kind of the technology fun stuff group <laughs> that I would call them would be down. stuff. <laughs> and so I I you know had had great relationships with with those folks, and I would find myself down there, uh, you know, being asked to come down to participate in you know requirement meetings for for new products and and really kind of slid into a you know subject market expertise role if you will for you know QC review uh, sure. you know rules engine um, products different um, you know hybrid valuation products and and you know we, we had a, a menu of, of different valuation products that it was very important that not only the really you know gifted and intelligent data and product team you know was 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 involved with but they needed, really a lot of boots on the ground appraiser um, expertise and operational expertise to take what would have been a really great product, you know, to be just an even, an even better product, um, you know, with, with that, with that additional, um, additional info in, in place. So I would, 
I would find myself down there quite a bit, really, really loving it. Um, you know, I also, um, was that probably the last couple of, couple of years, year and a half there was pulled into sales meetings. I would come along uh, wow. with, with their sales teams. They actually let you get in front of people I on know, like, outside the walls. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ooh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a little risky. Ooh. I'm an appraiser that can can actually you know s- sit in front of those guys and have conversations. It's 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 nuts. Um, but that was that that ended up being probably some of my most enjoyable time there was after really getting deep into how the AMC ran and and all the products that that we had at the time and why we were building them, um, you know, the direction we were going, being able to get in front of folks and and actually you know, sell that and sell the product list and the, the, you know, the culture and the, the future and the partnerships. That was, that was a ton of fun. Um, it's amazing being able to do that, I think really helped to, to kind of solidify what I was, you know, what I was doing. And again, like the chief appraiser by title role, Yes, man, it's, it's for every 20 chief appraisers you talk to, you're going to hear 20 different, you know, day-to-day things and, and, and I think just the sales aspect of it was I was able to then take that back to the operational day to day and really bring context to the staff on, hey, guys, you know, the client, keeping them happy, keeping them satisfied and keeping our metrics. This is why they need it to be the way they need it to be, you know, because I had just come from a, a meeting sitting across the table from somebody who's really not happy with the AMCs that they use and and, oh, wow. hearing, and hearing why. And so to be able to take that back to the team and say, okay, here, here's what we need to work against proactively to never be in this position. And so we just made those conversations that much more rich and, and context. That is fascinating. What, what's it like sitting, I mean, it's something kind of like a quote from Hamilton to be in the room, to make that reference. What's it like to sit in the room as a chief appraiser in a conversation where you're doing business development, essentially, maybe you're, you know, trying to uncover some challenges, maybe some gaps, maybe some way you can help out much like anyone else that's ever had to go get business. You got to sit down across from someone and you're hoping to strike a happy medium where maybe there's going to be a future together. What, what was that like for you? What kind of things get discussed, Chris? It's really not unlike, you know, the, the booth at a, at an NFL game, right? Like you've got okay. my play guy and then you've got the color commentator and, and I think my my role in those conversations was really more of the the color commentator role, where whereas the sales exec that I would be with would lay down the the you know the the foundational elements of the the business development model that we have, and and I would really just kind of fill in the blanks on you know why we're different and you know what we bring to the table that others don't, and connect connect in a real way. Um, you know, because I had experienced the pain points that they've experienced. I, I, I can get in front of even sometimes before they even brought it up, the, the pitfalls that, you know, they, they may have experienced with other, you know, competitors, competitors of ours. And, and it was just, it was refreshing because I I didn't have to be the one with the, you know, the bullet point list of here's everything we got to cover, but I, Mm. I, pipe in where it was relevant to add value to wherever we were talking about. Um, and whether that be, you know, just straight ahead origination appraisal work and how important milestones and quality are to alternative appraisal products and what we could do to create bespoke, you know, HELOC products for, for the client to, to, you know, how we respond to complaints and, and, um, you know, real world stuff that, that I had at the desk, you know, hands-on knowledge of that, that I I think goes over better knowing that, you know, this isn't just a lot of really talented sales folks in the industry, but I wasn't just a sales guy who hadn't sat in the seat, uh, Mm. experiencing the pain points that that prospective client was, was asking about. I mean, and and use language from a different industry. I mean, you were sitting there really as a solutions art architect. I mean, you're able to bridge both worlds that most people can't, even um, inside your own firm at that time. You mentioned having the data and tech team on the other floor and being able to go down. And I, I think this is a fascinating thing uh, you touched on that hopefully people picked up on, which is just because people have access to data doesn't mean they know what to do with it. I mean, they can analyze it, but they they, they need someone else to like, okay, I've got some results, but I don't know why or what it means or what contributed to it. And here you are through, you know, going back 
to even when you're part time, uh, you know, part time and then full time in, into the space, you know, getting that exposure, learning all about this. You're like, well, have you all considered this factor? Maybe this is an attribute or characteristic why there's regional differences in data. You're like, oh, no, never thought about that. Just looking at the data. <laughs> Uh, right. You mean there'd be regional differences in data? Like this is housing. This is very housing is a local market. <laughs> There's we have many different trends all at the same time across this big country. Yeah, exactly. And and it was it was just it was a ton of fun. And and I think really, you know, kind of what led to you know moving moving from from that position into my my current COO position was. You mean you left after having all that much? It was possible I, for someone to pry you away. Hey, it, it was uh, again more more of me seeking an opportunity that I didn't have at that particular place, and and got it. it it's funny, kind of looking back, right? When I ran my my field appraisal shop back in you know two thousand five, you know we weren't so much worried about managing the P and L, right? Like we made what we made. We 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 didn't have kids at the time. We were you know, first home sharing with my brother. So my expenses during the month were probably like 1500 bucks. Right. So <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that those were paid and that we could have fun on the weekend and that type of thing. Right. And then immediately going into Fannie Mae, that isn't a profit and loss in the PL center. Right? No, we were a cost no. center that had to stay within, you know, the, 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 the budget we had to do what we did. Yeah. Cause all, all the dollars we would make would go somewhere else. Um, then going into, you know, a completely different world of where, where P&L management was of vital importance as it related yes. to staffing and efficiency of what you were doing. Um, but in, in my specific connotation of the chief appraiser role, I didn't have a ton of direct, uh, not really oversight, but direct influence to P and L aside from staffing and, and operational efficiency, but, but, but didn't, wasn't really making, making the decisions that I ultimately wanted to make. So I, I had a, a buddy that I've known for a long time since back in my fanny days, who was, uh, ran another appraisal management company in Southern California. It was like, Hey, you know, we're in the, in the process of really making some decisions to, to, to grow and to, to, to build, uh, upon our, our, you know, our track record. And we need, we need somebody to come help do that and really, oh, you know, wow. kind of make, make a lot of the strategic direction, directional decisions on, on products and, and, you know, initiatives and what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it and manage the complete PNL. And I was like, let's do it, man. Let's, let's, let's yeah. make that happen. And then, uh, good for you come over there. And one month later, this thing called COVID happened. Oh, oh wow. I Yep. More importantly, uh, did you keep your job? <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Well, congratulations. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. My job. Now, most people did, but not everyone. So just one. glad to hear that you were able to keep getting your Whataburgers there. And Yes. Very, very thankful to have, have been able to go through, uh, you know, the initial COVID, but then also just the the last, last, you know, couple of years of volume being all over the place, but, but yeah, it, it's been, you know, taking everything from the, the prior AMC experience and kind of applying it, but then also at a higher level, really, you know, making efforts to architect something that is sustainable, scalable and, and protects against, you know, the volume ebb and flow that we've seen since 2020. Yes. And what's going on with, with the pandemic and with the mortgage rates and just, you know, how do we stay relevant and how do we stay afloat? Um, and, you know, how do we continue to prioritize the appraiser and, and really, you know, be a steward to, you know, a service provider for all of our clients? That's fantastic. And I, I really appreciate you, you talking about that. And I've heard that from a, a, some other members that people will be hearing about here in season two, that role of, look, I actually enjoyed what I was doing and I was looking for something maybe that built upon experience that I had, or maybe step into some roles that I had not yet had and an opportunity to do it took me somewhere else. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with where I was at. And as a result, um, you get this possibility to, to be, so what kind of architect are you, Chris? I mean, you get to step into this role here and strategic in nature. And are you, are you like a Frank Lloyd Wright kind of architect or like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> what a cool question. It's interesting because I'm, I've always through, through my time, especially at Fannie, I, I grew you know, super, super close to, to the appraisers and, um, to the supply chain that fed all of us. 
And I think what was massively important to me to come into this, this, the role that I currently have was to create a sustainable AMC that, that would always put the appraiser first. Um, and, and no matter what, what that looked like, um, from our product offerings to, you know, the expectations we would set to how we communicated to the systems they used. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that we were continuing to do our part to, to keep the appraiser and their, their job and their career, you know, as enjoyable as possible. And, and obviously at, at an AMC, that's an uphill battle at times. Got it. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And, but, but I think there's a lot of things that, that we can do and that we, we are doing that, that, that some other AMCs are doing as well to, to mm -hmm. really anchor in the appraiser profession such that, that, you know, we're not, we're not scaring more and more folks to thinking that they're not going to have jobs, that we're not, yes. you know, prioritizing the wrong thing when ultimately at the end of the day, yeah, there might not be as many appraisals performed in the future, but there will be appraisers doing those appraisals. And we want those folks to have an enjoyable career and be supported and have good tools. So that that's, you know, to, to Kenneth, to, to your question back to, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright or, yeah, um, I think I'm probably, you know, kind of a, a float between all of them, you know, it just kind of, wherever I need to be for whatever I'm designing and, and, and architecting. So architecting, is that a word? Just such that I'm always in tune with, with making sure that, that the, the supply chain of appraisers who, who is the backbone of success for us, making sure that they are, are set up to succeed and, and, and happy along the way. Oh, that's uh, I mean, for some people, they're going to be thrilled to hear that for others they they may or may not care, but uh, this is uh I mean, I've been in this industry for a while now. It's not the only industry. It's not, not the only business I have owned or do own. But nonetheless, you know, it's nice to know that, uh, you know, the profession has a future. But more than that, uh, I think what I really appreciate that you've shared is there's so many different roles available. And, you know, as I've shared a number of times, like, Michael, like, why do you make the effort for this podcast? I said, quite honestly, because when I got into this profession, having owned an awful lot of buildings, I wish I could have had these kind of conversations with people to even get a sense of what's possible or needed or available in the industry and, and getting to hear a bit of your trajectory from, you know, being in uh, Texas and starting out there and then coming into the industry and then moving around to different segments of the industry on your own, entrepreneurial, working in a government environment where you're a cost setter to working for a for-profit entity, to taking on executive responsibilities, you know, just fascinating and it's you know there's more growth possibilities but it requires a different way of looking at things it's not necessarily always just a field appraiser measuring a house or in this case uh you know field appraisers shooting photo comps on commercial properties there's so much more to it than that that's fascinating please chris go ahead no i i was just gonna just echo that that i mean you're spot on with that and and you know my my encouragement and and what i kind of lucked into doing was just, you know, sticking my hand in places where I probably didn't need to be, but, you know, wanting to be involved and, and pushing my way in. And, and, you know, I had a really influential mentor, um, you know, coin, uh, probably not coin, but bring up a phrase to me called, you know, uh, that, that he basically just said, resist the gravitational pull, right? None. The gravitational pull gravitational. is, is just the monotonous, day-to-day -day operational aspects of all business that can pull you into kind of the weeds and a funk of, of, you know, just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and again. So I, I think, you know, what, what had worked for me early on that I continued in every, every place I was at was just, you know, genuinely wanting to be involved in, in many, if not all the other aspects of what was going on, you know, just, to be able to tie context to everything. And, and I think the more, the more that you've got your tentacle spread and the more you're going to understand how to apply that, that knowledge and that, the, the different aspects of the business to, to what you're working on. Fascinating. So, so Chris, from where you sit now, uh, what is it about either the, the role that you're in at that company or the industry in general that really has you, uh, as you look out the next say three to five years, like, oh, wow, this this has me uh, inspired or intrigued or interested or 
you're like, oh, I'm going to get taken out by an AI robot. Like, so what's on your mind as you look out in the future? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's a whole nother hour conversation, I think. All right. Well, we won't do an hour. We maybe will have to do here in the upcoming season, but we'll, uh, we'll make some time for it. Perfect. Yeah. No, I, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic with, mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. I think there's a lot of, a lot of energy and effort in our industry right now. Lots of meetings and lots of, you know, important, you know, things happening and, and, and technologies coming to light and money being spent and new forms coming out. And, you know, I, I'm hopeful that there's alignment to, you know, continuing, continuing to make the profession, you know, thrive and, and, and be a profession. Uh, yes. You know, I, I think in, in light of, you know, waivers and, and value acceptance plus PDR and ACE, you know, ACE plus P, all of the, all of the, the efforts to kind of fight against, you know, appraisers, uh, not, not having enough appraisers in the industry. I, 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 I'm hopeful that that plays out and, and solves that problem, but doesn't create new ones that, that are, you know, kind of thought about and, and planned for and, and, and protected against from the get go. Yes. Uh, so I, I, you know, the, the, the new URAR and, and seeing the spec on that come out, you know, I've got a lot of buddies that are on that team that helped to do it. And I know that the intention was amazing, but when I see the massive amount of information, you know, I to sure. think that timelines and appraisal fees won't go up to me is a, a little bit of a far stretch. <laughs> I'm wrong. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, I, I know that there's, there's a lot of really great things happening. A lot of super smart folks that are having, having conversations and, and creating new processes. I, I'm just hopeful that those, all, all of, all of those things are working or will work in concert together to, to help the industry with the, with the opportunities we have today, but keep it a profession, keep it a, an appraisal focused profession. Uh, I, um, uh... You know, as someone who started out in the field, I can I can appreciate and relate to what you're saying, and that's uh, it's quite encouraging. Obviously, you're in a role with a firm that is focused on having uh, appraisers at the forefront, so that's uh, that's always good news. But you know, the the flip side of it is, uh, last night I was as I was preparing to take a trip today uh, to another part of the country. I'm just north of you, actually, but not close enough to stop by and say hello. And, uh, you know, as YouTube does do, they pop up some ads. And I saw that new Apple Pro Vision, which probably everyone hearing this hasn't even seen yet. And I was like, wow, that it's pretty amazing. That's amazing. And I'm like, can you imagine walk in in what they did that that Facebook hasn't done with their entry model for their glasses, if you will, their their uh, virtual reality uh, headset? is that glass you can actually see through and, and actually maintain contact with people versus completely shut out. And you're like, like what? I remember when Google Glass came out and I, I knew a few people that had those things. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that or if if I'm like, I'm totally impressed. And it's like, what are you looking at? Like, are you looking at your glasses and looking at me? Or are you like, are you like videoing others at the same time? And it's just that we don't know what the future is going to hold and it's going to bring change. And it's great to have people that care involved in the process because they can shape that. And uh, I, I come away with that sense of uh, a hopeful optimism based on what you've shared so far, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Those that that at thirty five hundred bucks a pop. The, the, yeah, I know. Right. But, but that but talk about talk about cool, you know, AI and 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 just the augmented side too. just, yeah, I mean, the future, the futures, it's going to look, things are going to look a whole lot different. That is the one thing that I think we can all probably agree with completely. Things are not going to look the same in three to five years or maybe even before that. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see how it all, how it all shakes out. And it's a, it's definitely a fun ride and it's been, you know, something that, that has been culminating for, for quite some time. So um, we'll, we'll see. We will see. I, I completely agree. I was chatting with uh, one of the tenants and I was asking him, like, what do you do? He was getting relocated, actually, closer towards you. I was like, hey, congratulations. He's like, going to work for the startup. He's like, I'm in marketing analytics. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, I, I think I kind of know. But I'm like, what is it? He explained it. And I'm like, you could be an appraisal. He goes, well, I, 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 I do. But I mean, but I'm dealing with like marketing and like online media stuff, not like 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 buildings, like commercial buildings or houses. I was like, dude, analytics, man, it. 
it's just part of the future. I it's, it's get involved is uh, what I came away with. Like the dude is like my kid's age, but I'm like, okay, so I got to do some learning, I guess. <laughs> Man, the 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 minds that work in this space are are incredible, and yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leave you with a kind of a quote that I thought was the most fascinating quote I've ever had with with and and you and I talked uh, and and a little bit prior prior conversation about this individual, but he, we were sitting down having a drink at a at a conference, and he was like, Chris, what would you think if mm. I told you that? GLA does not matter in real estate appraisal at all. Yes. Wow. And I just like stared at him for like, <laughs> yeah, like it explodes. <laughs> first of all, like, uh-huh. uh, but like, you know, and so for the next hour, you know, I was enlightened to a, a way of thinking that it was just next level for me. But yeah, I, it, it's, I, I trust that that type of intelligence, um, um being a part of what's next for our industry is is a good thing and scary at the same time but but yeah it's it's like i said cautiously optimistic cautiously optimistic ours used to be flat chris i uh yes. shocker ours used to be flat and uh he is penciled in for season three uh that we the the uh, guest to be named soon uh when he gets back from travel so we're excited about that as well just to bring really thought-provoking conversations to data like you said i think you said it earlier on which was like what becomes possible when what was previously impossible is starting to become available like it just changes everything it does it really does opens up so much more need than anything else so chris i am so grateful that you joined us thanks uh for being part of season two and sharing your perspective we are always grateful for our peers taking some time uh to just pull a little bit out of uh, the Wayback machine and share a couple perspectives so so many of us can gain some understanding of wow there's so much more out here than maybe the my 5000 or kind of street level view versus flying at 5000 feet or even 10000 feet much less 30000 feet in the air and just different perspectives so so grateful for that as well as uh, thanks for all the feedback continue to share the podcast it's wonderful to hear literally i have had a couple people from other parts of the world like michael that is so interesting hearing what uh, you know, in this case, some of our season one guests had shared um, and your uh, your impact and your contributions make a difference. So, Chris, thanks for joining us. Uh, and until the next session, uh, stay out there and uh, enjoy the summertime. Thanks, Mike. Really enjoyed it, my friend. Uh, much the pleasure. Much the pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pavru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening. And until we're together again for the next session of Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose, create the change that you seek. 